As we meander our way through the season of Advent, inching closer to Bethlehem and the manger, it's reasonable to wonder, why was Jesus born? The theologians, the poets, the carol writers have provided us with a variety of answers. Born to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all. Born to save us all from Satan's power. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Born thy gracious kingdom bring. So many answers to this question have been given. But believe it or not, Jesus gave his own answer to this question when he was being tried in the middle of the night for the accusations of blasphemy, sedition, treason, and stirring up the people. He said, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Then he said, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then the Roman governor Pontius Pilate replied, what is truth? What is truth? All my life I've been fascinated, haunted, possessed by this question. I've spent years searching for the answer, searching for the truth. Why? Because we are told that if we know the truth, then the truth will set us free. There is liberation in the truth. There is light in the truth. There is life in the truth. The truth is a place where we can see and live in liberty, and yet the truth remains so elusive. One of the first memories I have is going to the beach on vacation with my parents as a child. I had many joyous times there with my mother and father, but what I remember most about the first trip was Oliver North on television, testifying before the Senate during the Iran-Contra hearings. I've always been drawn to and captivated by the search for truth. And this may be why in these dark and darkening days, I have found myself re-watching the HBO show, The Newsroom, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, starring Jeff Daniels. Sorkin also famously wrote and directed The West Wing, and he's a misty-eyed, sentimental optimistic who is romantic about America and the possibility of civility, democracy, and truth. The opening credits of the newsroom make me nostalgic for the days of Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather, Diane Sawyer, Tom Brokaw, and Katie Couric. What happened to real investigative reporting? What happened to long-form journalism? What happened to the search for the truth? Isn't this why we all love to read detective stories and watch shows about private investigators and detectives? From Sherlock Holmes to Nancy Drew to Perry Mason to Olivia Benson on SVU, we want to find the truth. We love to watch the search for truth. We love to watch people find the truth. But in lieu of discovering reality and real truth, we seem to be stuck with murder mysteries and true crime dramas to supplement our desire for the true investigation of what's really going on in our world today. In our scripture this morning, 
The undomesticated, untamed, camel-wearing, leather-belt-strapping, feral insect-eating, wild honey-licking prophet of Advent is back at it again, crying out in the wilderness to help us prepare the way. The big bad Baptist of Advent sounds a similar call in the Gospel of John as he did in Mark, with one important addition. In the battle of myths that rages through the prologue of John's gospel, we are told that the Baptist has come to offer testimony to the word, to life, to light, and to the truth. Known in other circles as the revelator, exiled on the island of Patmos in order to escape Roman imperial violence, the author of John's gospel speaks as a prosecutor for God. In the prosecution's opening sentence, we learn that we are up against very serious forces, darkness and the defense attorney for darkness. And not just darkness, but a deep darkness with death and deception as its tools, all that is opposed to light and life and love and truth. The prosecution has but one witness, John the baptizer, who troubles the waters and the watersheds, who testifies to life and light. On the witness stand, he has but one job, to speak the truth by pointing to the one who is coming and proclaiming, look, here is truth. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does testifying to the truth have to do with Advent? What does witnessing and pointing to the truth have to do with preparing for Christmas? Well, Advent signals the dawning of a new reality, the kingdom of God. And unless we are aware of the reality that we are currently living in, we will not be able to recognize the new reality of the kingdom when it comes. Our world is awash with lies and our lives are tangled in webs of deceit. We've lost any connection to reality. Truth has become a casualty of our society's penchant for expediency and opportunism. We've become incredibly adept at denial and self-deception, both personally and collectively. So much so now, we are living in a post-truth world. Our national identity, our history, our innocence, our exceptionalism, our dream even, they are a lie. A lie we cannot face for fear we may lose ourselves completely. Divorced of all meaning and purpose and cast into an oblivion of nothingness. Few of us, if we are honest, ever wake up in the morning intending to lie. Filled with a desire to intentionally deceive, but telling the truth is hard. And when we discover that it is easier to lie than tell the truth, and that it feels better to believe in a delusional mythology than to live in reality, we almost always choose the less difficult path. Lies are most powerful when reality is dark and dismal and hard to swallow, as in this dark night of a catastrophic pandemic. But I'm reminded of the words of the wizard Dumbledore from Harry Potter, who said, dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between doing what is right and what is easy. What is right and what is easy. What is right is never easy. In a commencement address 
given at an Ivy League university, a famous theologian once gave the following advice to the graduating class. Do not lie. The theologian went on to say, you may not remember when or where you learned not to lie, but long before this day you knew that even though in some circumstances you may have to say what is less than true, in general lying should be avoided. But the general agreement that lying should be avoided masks our confusions about what constitutes a lie. Lying may be understood as intentionally saying what we know to be false in order to deceive, but it turns out we are often unsure of what is true. We discover, for example, that it is quite difficult not to lie, even in our interactions with those with whom we are the closest, like our spouses and our children, because we are afraid. We fear that telling the ones we love the truth will threaten the fragile intimacy that sustains the relationship. Politics, the theologian went on to say, is perhaps far too easy an exemplification of the lie which masquerades as the semblance of truth. We often criticize politicians for failing to be candid and pandering to their constituency, but we forget that that is what they were elected to do. Do not lie turns out, therefore, to be a far more complex demand than is usually assumed. As people of faith and good conscience, we are called to love the truth. Yet in this social epidemic of denial and delusion, I'm haunted by the words of Paul who said, because they refuse to love the truth and be saved, for this reason God sent them a more powerful delusion, leading them to believe what is false so that all who have not believed in the truth and took pleasure and injustice will be condemned. Those words feel eerily prophetic. What does it mean to love the truth? What is the relationship of love and truth? Paul famously said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in truth. Love finds joy in the truth. The love of truth brings people joy. And if there is anything we need more of right now, it is joy. Joy in these days and at all times is an act of resistance. Joy is an act of resistance against the darkness and death and despair and deception. We need joy. But what if, what if joy is the result of holding on desperately to and testifying to and loving the truth? What if the way to rediscover joy is to turn back to the truth? Happiness, we all know, is a feeling of pleasure that we experience when life is good, but joy is so different than happiness. Happiness is fickle. It comes and goes with the ups and downs in life, arriving in the consolations, disappearing in the desolations, present for weeks and then gone in an instant. But joy is a constant disposition of the soul that can be here 
and remain with us, sharing space with more challenging emotions like sadness and shame and anger. It remains present in times of darkness and difficulty because it is a wellspring of life and peace that we can draw on even in the most horrifying circumstances. Joy is a choice that is purposefully made. It is an intention and an attitude of the heart, a fruit of the spirit present inside of us as an untapped reservoir of resilience. Joy always tells the kind of truth that transcends the reality that we can see with our eyes or feel with our emotions. Joy speaks to us of a deeper truth, a truth that other emotions can barely mumble. Joy's primary words are, and yet, in spite of that, nevertheless and even so. It has the long-range vision of revelry and dancing on the far side of struggle and proclaims that in spite of trauma and tragedy, darkness, denial, death and deception, there is still joy because there is always a greater and more lasting truth than the reality of evil. That is the truth of belonging. Belonging to a people and to a movement, to a beloved community, to a kingdom, to a God and to a love that will never be overcome. This transcendent truth of belonging is how Malcolm X could say, I am for truth no matter who says it, and I am for justice no matter who it is for or against. Because, he said, I am a human being first and foremost, and as such, I am for whatever benefits humanity as a whole. Knowing and understanding that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, a common humanity, interdependence, and a single garment of destiny with all other living beings on this earth is a truth that has the power to fill us with joy even in the midst of war and famine, genocide, economic crisis, or a global pandemic. Joy is that underlying truth that cannot be dictated or dispelled with good or bad circumstances. In John's gospel, grace and truth are paired together, but the concept of truth has little to do with absolute truth that can be somehow verified by substantiation. This truth is not a fact or a proposition that is able to be proven outside of itself. Rather, truth in John is a relationship. Truth is a relationship of belonging. Remember Jesus' words to Pilate that we heard, for this I was born, for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Truth is not something that we believe in. Truth is something we belong to. God is truth and we belong to God. We belong to Jesus and we can belong to the truth. Truth is about belonging to a people. It is about belonging to God and to one another. The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once remarked that the truth can only be spoken by someone who is already at home in it, not by someone who still lives in untruthfulness and does no more than reach towards it from within untruthfulness. 
So what does it mean to belong to the truth and to be at home in it? It means to know that in the deepest core of our being, that in life and in death, we belong to God and to one another. That we know as beloved children, nothing can separate us from God or from the community of the faithful to whom we belong. But that will not work with just any God or any vision of God. A God who does nothing but hate or judge, condemn or exclude the people on earth that she created cannot possibly be a home for truth. The God who the prosecution called John the Baptist to testify to is the God of life and of light and of love. It is the God of wisdom or Sophia who danced across the chaos when the world was born. It is the word and breath and life and spirit of creation itself. It is what John called the Logos. Long before the word logos was employed by Greek philosophers like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle as a term for the rational element in human behavior or the mind of the universe, and even long before Christian theologians transformed the word into an analogy for Christ, the root meaning of logos, the word logos, meant to gather. To gather. That means that the word, the logos, is the one who gathers the one who was in the beginning and the one who was coming, the one who is bringing life and light to all, the one John the Baptist testified to is the one who gathers, the one who creates a beloved community, the one who gives us the power to become children of God, children that are born into a new kind of belonging, children that are gathered into a new kind of family, one that is not born of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of humanity, but born of the Spirit that is the truth. And knowing this truth, holding this truth, loving this truth, and embodying that truth is what brings unspeakable joy. We are living in the dark days of deception, and despair, and death. And yet, nevertheless, in spite of that, and even so, there is a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Life and love and truth cannot be overcome. There is a truth that is more powerful than any of the lies that our world has offered, more powerful than any of our own self-deceptions, and more powerful than even the half-truths and smaller truths that we've grown accustomed to love. There is a logos, a word, a God who has taken on flesh, to be embodied and become incarnate, entering into history at the fullness of time in order to gather all things and heaven and on earth together. We may be living in a dark time when we cannot gather. And yet, nevertheless, in spite of that and even so, we still belong to God the gatherer. We still belong to one another the gathered. And there will come a time when this pandemic will pass and the God who gathers will gather us again together in love. A scholar, Willie Jennings, says, Christianity is not about a common purpose that transforms our identities. It is about our identities being woven together in Christ to transform the world. Therefore, it is with great confidence 
that we can cling to the knowledge that we belong to a greater truth, one that loudly proclaims that there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, that there are no human beings who are illegal, that there are no races that are inferior or superior, that there are no sexualities or gender identities that are unholy, that there are no Americans or Britons or Germans really, that there are no humans, animals, vegetables, or mineral. There are only persons. The world is filled with persons, and some of them are human, and all of us belong. Everyone and everything belongs. God's dream is a dream of belonging, of a place where we can make our homes together in peace. What is truth? That is truth. Beloved community is truth. Kingdom is truth. This is the truth that we are preparing for, the truth that we are waiting for, the truth that we are learning how to love in Advent. And when we do, when we learn to love this truth, a wellspring of the most indescribable joy will spring up and open for us. A joy so overwhelming that in spite of this present darkness, and yet, nevertheless, and even so, we will have no choice but to burst out with joy in singing the truth. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your light appear. Joy to the world, the gatherer is coming. Good Christian friends, rejoice with grace and truth and voice. O tidings of belonging and joy, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Yes, the truth is that God is with us. Yes, the truth is that God is for us. And yes, the truth is that one day God will gather us together again. Amen.